Good afternoon. Can you hear me all right? It's been a while since I've seen this church so full. Amen to that. Aren't you glad that COVID is, well, for the time being, we can be here, and I'm so happy without a mask uh, to be here uh, uh, in this place. Um, it's been a long time since I've uh, spoken, maybe about a year. The last time I was here, um, I think I spoke about my father-in-law and how he uh, passed away. And uh, it was uh, a deeply emotional experience. And um, anyway, this, this time around, I'd like to sort of recap a little bit about uh, my life and a little bit uh, what has been going on. Um, I got a different job, uh, in a, it was a consulting job, and uh, I had two jobs for a while, which was quite hectic. And uh, because of this, because of the two jobs that I had, I was able to, and because of COVID and the interest rates were so low, I was able to sell our townhome and then buy a new home. And um, then the consulting job ended, and then I was able to get another job in the uh, bioinformatics department at OHSU. And um, kind of an interesting sequence of events. It happened very quickly within the last six months or so. I just started maybe about a week ago. And this job is a, is a kind of a, um, it's, it's, it's super, super interesting. And it's exactly what I've been desiring and not knowing that I've been wanting this. But um, this bioinformatics job is basically a job where um, I don't do research on animals anymore, but I take uh, data, uh, a lot of healthcare data, and I'm, I run um, models to, and basically using these fancy words called artificial intelligence or machine learning, those kinds of things to be able to predict a better health outcome. And um, it's kind of amazing when um, God allows you to see uh, a little bit about what he's trying to do in your life. And for the first time in my life, um, I was able to uh, uh, connect a sort of a congruent picture of my life. You, you, all of you know, well, those of you who know me, know that I have a great interest in uh, prophecy. And, and, and Daniel and Revelation, those kinds of things I love to talk about and think about and read about. And prophecy is just an old word for prediction. It's just an old word for prediction, uh, predicting that something is going to happen. And suddenly in my secular life, the life that I you know, do my work in, I'm thinking about prediction. I'm thinking about models for prediction. And I'm thinking about how to best fit this, you know, whatever, to, to predict, a, predict a health outcome. And in my spiritual life, I'm also thinking about prediction, thinking about personal prediction. And so um, I want to just share with you a little bit about um, this uh, I, personal, I guess, prophecy. We're going to go through uh, a story in the Bible that I'm probably sure that you're familiar with. And it's found in 2 Kings about how God gives a personal prediction to somebody. And from there, I want to glean some principles away from there so that we can understand how God is giving you a personal prediction about your life. 
Now, that's a bold thing to say, to say that God has a personal prophecy or prediction for you, number one. And number two, God wants you to be aware of that prediction. He wants you to know it. Those are very two bold things to say, I think. And so, it's going to require us to have a certain presence of mind, a certain attention, a certain mindset. So play, pray with me. Lord God, ah, this is a hard message to preach. I just pray, Father, that you hide me behind the cross. Let your word speak in the individual circumstances of uh, the lives here. Lord, you know what is going on. You know the trials and the crises. You know all the things that are going on, Lord. And I just pray that these words may be uh, adaptable to these situations. I pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. All right, we are in 2 Kings chapter 20, if you have a Bible or a phone. Um, 2 Kings chapter 20, and this story has always uh, given me a little bit of a pause because it's such a unique story. It's such a powerful story. It's a story that um, just I've wrestled with and I continue to wrestle with. Um, but we're going to get there. Second Kings chapter 20, it says this. And in those days, Hezekiah was sick unto death. And the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos, came to him and said to him, Thus saith the Lord, set thine house in order, you're going to die. Now, someone came to you, and you sa they said, you know what? You're sick, you're going to die. After the initial shock, you might be like, okay, at least I have time to, like, get my house in order, right? Put all the things that I need to do. Um, even now, um, my, my father-in-law has passed away about a year, and he didn't get everything in order. And let me tell you, oh my gosh, it is a very big headache. Uh, I can't seem to, um, it's, it's kind of a weird thing, but he, he left us his, his car, and, but he didn't sign over the title to the car. And so that's a very simple thing, but in order for that to get transferred over, you need 10 different documents. I'm sending them over to the DMV, to Sacramento. They're not responding. It's been like six months. I just got the letter yesterday. They said, you need more documents. I'm like, ah, ah, you know, not, at least Isaiah is saying to him, set your affairs in order. Now, some context about Hezekiah and some context about this time. In, in this time in Israelite history, it's a, um, it's a tumultuous time. It's a tumultuous time because Hezekiah, this nation of Israel, remember it was separated. There was the northern part of Israel. And the northern tribes have been completely uh, ransacked by Assy Assyria. They've been assimilated. They've been, um, you know, it, it, they don't exist anymore at this point in time, and there's just Israel here, and the Assyrians are coming to 
Um, they're an ex existential threat, basically. And um, Hezekiah comes into his, uh, comes to be king at a very young age, around 20-something, and he realizes that uh, not only there is this existential threat, but the whole nation of Israel has gone astray. See, in the land of prosperity, there's this freedom, responsibility. Everybody, has, they've gone their own way. And um, there is this, and Hezekiah has this, uh, he says, you know what? I know that there is this existential threat here, but we have to deal with what is going on in our nation now. So he takes a pot in, upon himself, and he says, we need to have a reformation. And you see that in chapter 18, what he does is when he's 25 years old, he did that which was right. He removed the high places. He broke the images. He cut down the groves. And uh, he, he just, he, he took out all the idolatrous things in that nation. And I think about that and I said, what a, um, this is really important that when you want to see your personal prediction, your personal prophecy, your story in your life, you want to be aware of it. Now, I'm not talking about being in the back seat and looking in hindsight of your life and saying God was there. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about being in the front seat and God saying, this is your story. This is what's going to happen to you. This is what happened to Hezekiah, right? Before that happens, there needs to be reformation. There cannot be, you, you will be blinded to your personal story if there are things in your life that are preventing you from seeing how God is working. And that's a big step. And we all know that we cannot put away our own sin. We cannot willpower ourselves. You know, I'm just going to be good. I'm just not going to watch these things. I'm just not going to consume these things. You can't do it with your own willpower because your predispositions are inclined to desire these things. The only thing that we can do is that we can behold Jesus. By coming to him, by by uh, facing him, by looking at his life, we become inspired. We become kind. Our hearts become open. When we see his faithfulness, we become faithful. When we see his loving kindness, we become loving and kind. We have room for generosity. We have room for forgiveness in our lives. This must be inspired onto us. We can't conjure it up. You have all been in situations. You know, I, when we first had our uh, first kid, me and Jamie, man, we had a lot of arguments, a lot of fights. And it's really hard to apologize in those situations. You have to be in a certain mindset to be able to be like, I'm sorry. It doesn't come easy. And you know what the weird thing, the interesting thing is, um, my daughter, who is now one, I always tell her, she, she is, she's very feisty. And when she doesn't like something, she just swipes at you. 
I mean, she's so cute, but she just, whoa, and she just, jack, pow, right on the face. And I'm like, Emmy, don't do that, you know? Say sorry. And she's like, pretending like she doesn't understand, even at that young age, refuses, refuses, absolutely. She gives me something else to play with. She's like, you know, like, no. I'm saying, say sorry to Jack. Say sorry to Jack. Man, something ingrained in us, something about being vulnerable, it's even at that age hard to do. When she doesn't even have the capacity or the understanding of what she did, hard to do. Before you understand your story, reformation is needed in your life, to coming to Jesus, you need to let him fill your life so you can understand your own story. I say this because remember the story of Daniel when God spoke at the river of Tigris. It was Daniel was the only one that recognized God's voice and said, that's God's voice. He is speaking. And he has this vision. The rest of the people think, oh, that was a thunder. And they were, got afraid and they ran away. When, when, God, when God the Father spoke to Jesus, right, it was John the Baptist and Jesus that understood. The rest of the periphery didn't really get it or understand. This is why I say you have to be right with God. You have to come to God to understand your own story and how, what God is speaking to you. The second thing is, it says here that Hezekiah was sick. And if you look into this Bible, and if you look at all the instances of personal prophecy where prophets came to this individual and said, this is your life, it's usually the majority of the time comes in situations of crisis. The time that you're having the most difficult time, you have a crisis in front of you. Whether that is your health, whether that you are actually sick as Hezekiah was, or you have a broken relationship, or your marriage is in crisis, or your relationship is in crisis, your grades, your finances, something is in crisis. And at this moment, God wishes to speak to you in a very truthful way because you know what crisis does? It prioritizes a lot of things in our life. When we have a crisis, all the you know, superfluous things we put to the side and we prioritize things immediately, we sharpen, we focus. It's like uh, if there was a predator right in front of you, you're like, oh, you know, I'm not worried about the food I'm gonna eat, I'm not worried about the entertainment that I'm gonna consume, I'm worried about my, men, my mental focus is sharp. I'm ready to go and escape or do something to get out of this situation. Crisis, what happens is it gives us a mindset of vulnerability. It gives us a mindset where we can be open to the voice of God. Now, I don't know what kind of crisis you're going through right now, again. But if you are going through a crisis, press in, press into Jesus. He has a message for you today, 
about your life. This week, we had a small crisis in my family. It was going well. There was a, a Korean class at my house. There was like 40 kids there. It was like so great. There were so many like kids running around. And um, I, love, I love that, that we're you know, getting together as a community. Unfortunately, um, there was some sickness that happened. My, uh, 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 I don't know, it was Emmy got sick, then Jamie went down, then Jack went down. Oh man, when Jamie goes down, it's like, it's like destruction of my family. It's like chaos. Like, how much screen time can you have? I don't know, but there was a lot. <laughs> and on top of that, on top of that, it was like, Ah, uh, my son, he is, um, he is four years old, but I, he is a full-blown teenager right now. Full-blown. I mean, this guy, we're at the table, and we say something to him, please don't do something. This guy rolls his eyes. What kind of four-year-old rolls his eyes, right? Like, I thought I would have at least 10 more years. But no, he, and he, and he runs off, he's, and, and, and he talks back, and he copies what you say, and he runs to his room. He said, you said this, and stomping, and then closes the door and kicking the door. Man, there was a lot of yelling in, in, in our family tonight, or this week. It was just a lot of tension, a lot of crisis. And I thought to myself, I thought to myself, um, I had this profound thought that bothered me so much while I was, while I was saying, you know, I didn't have the brunt of this. It was Jamie and, Jamie and Jack, basically. And um, I thought to myself this thought that really disturbed me, which was, um, here I am trying to control the situation with Jack. You got to do this. Don't do this. Exerting my power and authority because I tell myself he doesn't know any better. He doesn't have the, the presence of mind, the emotional maturity, the experience to understand the situation. I have to correct his behavior. And I thought, you know, the distance, the mental capacity and the distance between me and my son is smaller than the distance between God and me. Let me say that again. The level of me and my son is smaller than God and me. Way smaller. Yet, yet, how, how does God treat me? He understands the beginning from the end. He understands the future. Yet he doesn't come with his big muscles and say, you got to do this, Ernest. He doesn't. And I thought, oh, the thought was this, the very uncomfortable thought, what if I treated my son as God treated me? Even now, at four years old, I got real sweaty. The implications of that statement were so strong to me. What if I allowed it? I'm like, no. He's going to be some spoiled, entitled, I don't want him to be that. I got to lay down the law. I got to put spiritual discipline in the young man. You see him now, he's crazy. He's feral almost right now. <laughs> and I realized, what does God do? 
God allows us. He gives us choices. He gives us freedom. He lets us see his pain. He lets us see his agony. He said, I don't want that for you in your life. I don't want that, but I'm going to allow it. He spurns motivational change. He spurns a heart transformation. Even though we don't have the capacity like he does, even though we don't have the experience that God does, he is omniscient. Even though we don't have those things, he allows us in our frail and insignificant small lives to make those decisions. I started to pray for my son. I said, Lord, help me to be a better father like you. This is what we need. God inspires us by his actions of what he does for us. And I said, wow, this is a small crisis, but the personal prophecy for me this week was this. Look at me as a father and emulate me when you're a parent. That was a strong message for me. Now, I don't know what kind of crisis you're going through, whether it's a, a, a real sickness or, you know, it's a relationship or something. But you need to press in and to look into the example of Jesus. And he will give you a personal prediction for you, a story for you. Because in, in this story, you're the main player. You're the actor. You are it in this story. And God has a personal story for you that he wants to share with you. It says here, and though the Lord give you, in Isaiah chapter 33, and though the Lord give you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, yet your teacher will not hide himself anymore, but your eyes shall see your teacher. And listen to this. And your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, this is the way. Walk in it when you turn to the right or when you turn to the left. Do you see what it's saying? It said, though you experience this crisis, you're going to have someone right here behind your ear. This is the way. Walk in it. Friends, family, we got to take this verse and put it to God. Come to him boldly and say, this is what you have said here, Lord. You have told me that you will show me the way, the story of my life. Put it in front of God. Come boldly to the throne of grace and said, this is a promise that I will take in faith. You have to. I'm not talking about the cliche, God has a plan for you. It's so general and ambiguous. No. I'm talking about a plan that is specific, that is catered toward you, that you can be privy to. Personal prophecies have very specific directions. 
Let's read on. Hezekiah prays. He says, and this is the amazing thing, and this is what's brought out. I said, I beseech thee, Lord, remember now how I have walked thee before thee in truth and with a perfect heart and have done that which is good in thy sight. And Hezekiah wept sore. And it came to pass for that Isaiah was going, going out of the middle court that the word of the Lord came to him saying, turn again and tell Hezekiah the captain of my people. Thus saith the Lord, the God of David thy father, I have heard thy prayer, I have seen thy tears. Behold, I will heal thee on the third day thou shalt go out into the house of the Lord. This is kind of an amazing story if you think about it, right? There is a very personal prophecy, a personal recommendation, a personal thing that, that is given to King Hezekiah. But God's personal predictions or prophecies can change with prayer. And this is an example of it. That's an, a crazy thing to think about, is it not? That God's plans can change based upon your prayers to him. It's a profound thing to think about. It says in Great Controversy 525, the same compassionate Savior lives today, and he is willing to listen to the prayer of faith as when he walked visibly among men. The natural cooperates with the supernatural. It is a part of God's plan to grant us, in answer to the prayer of faith, that which he would not bestow, did we not thus ask. It would not happen. God will do things for us when we pray that he will not do if we do not pray. That's the end. He will do for us things if we pray, but he will not do those things if we do not pray. That's why Paul says, pray without ceasing. You have to pray. You have to communicate every single night. My family and I, we get together amongst all the chaos and we get together and pray. And when we pray, we pray very specifically. If you pray ambiguous prayers, then you will not know whether those prayers are answered. God, thank you, uh, keep me safe. You know, those are very general prayers. We pray very specific prayers. This person in this situation is going through a thing. And we pray for that person, and we pray for them daily. And let me tell you, for all the things, you know, that I talked about Jack, Jack has a fabulous memory. He says, Appa, you forgot to pray about this person. Appa, you forgot this. He reminds me that we have forgotten the three or four people that we missed in our prayer. But let me tell you, it is such an amazing thing that when you pray for somebody for days, for weeks, for months, and then you hear what happens, that becomes such a motivational tool for you. It's such a growth experience for you. You've been praying for this individual. You've been praying for... Um, Yesterday, I was listening to FNL about Charles and his father, and it reminded me about Pastor a long time ago when Pastor had a sermon about his father, how he prayed for his father for like years, like a decade, maybe more, I don't know, but it was so moving to know 
that after that amount of time, God was faithful to that prayer. God can do things for you through prayer that he otherwise will not do. So press in. Plead to him like a father. Two days ago, uh, uh, Jack, he, he doesn't eat very well. Like he can, I, I swear to you, he can subsist on two grains of rice and he's happy with that. But one thing that he has an insatiable diet for is snacks. He loves snacks and sugary drinks. And so when he knows where they are, so he, two days ago he opened the, opened the, uh, opened the cabinet and we have our snacks in an unreachable place, but he has now figured out that he can just put out the steps to walk right up and pick them up now. But anyway, he's about to go to say, hey, what are you doing? And this is in between lunch and dinner, and this is not a time for him to eat very many things. And so I said, he's like, up, I want snacks. And I said, no. And he said, up, I want snacks. No. He said, up, I want snacks. Jack, if you eat right now, it might affect your dinner. I gave him an explanation. He's like, I was, I was like, no. Up, I want snacks. I'm like, Jack, if you keep asking me a hundred times, you think it's going to make a difference? Up, I want snacks. Doesn't even phase him. Doesn't even phase him, right? Up, I want snacks. I mean, it just keeps going. And it, it, honestly, this situation brought a smile to my face because I hope I can say this, Ken, but one time I was over at Ken's house and um, I was with, uh, I was with uh, Paul and I was with uh, Jerome and, and, and we were playing ping pong. We were just going at it in ping pong. And um, I think it was uh, Sydney or Clea Sydney. I think it was Sydney comes down downstairs and she, she says to Ken, said, um, uh, Appa, can I, can I go to my friend's house to finish a project? Ken's like, no. <laughs> it was like a solid, no. And, and, and then she's like, but, I, but I, she was protesting, but I got to finish my project with my, no. So then she goes up, she goes up. And we're like, okay, yeah, she said no. Uh, 15 minutes later, she comes back downstairs and she says, Appa, can I, can I go to my friend's house uh, to finish my project? And then Ken's like, no. It was a, like, no. Okay, no. She goes back upstairs. And, 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 and then after this, we, we were playing ping pong. We're like, we stopped. We're like, Ken, wow, the discipline. <laughs> Respect, sir. As a father, wow. To a daughter, mind you, no, right? It was solid. It was just like, no, right? And, and 15 minutes later, Sydney comes down again and, uh, no, no, Sydney didn't even, what happened? Well, 15 minutes later, Ken says, hey guys, I gotta go right now. Do you think you would be all right? He says, I gotta go. Sydney, I gotta take Sydney to her friend's house. We busted out laughing. We're like, this guy being so hard, so disciplined, yet caves in. And I have a confession to make. After the 100th Up I Want Snacks, I got him a beautiful bowl of very unhealthy snacks, and I put it in front of his face. This is a small example. God is like a father to us. He loves us. And he knows what you desire, even though it might not be the best for you. 
In this situation, Hezekiah, the best situation for Hezekiah was for him to die right here in this space. He was granted 15 years, but he made, in that 15 years, he made a decision that was so terrible that he made one of the worst mistakes of his life. And it brought about a catastrophic sequence of events that resulted in the destruction of Israel. It was the best decision for him to die at this point. But again, God is like a father. And he understands his children. And he is not, like he, his ears are open to you. Even if they're simple, even if they're selfish, even if they're what have you, approach him. Ask him. He doesn't tire. He doesn't get tired. Approach him with prayer. Personal prophecies have very specific directions. Hezekiah asks. Now, this is very... So after this prayer that Hezekiah says, Isaiah says to him, says... Okay, I will heal thee. I will give you 15 more years. And number two, you're, you, have, you will go up into the house of the Lord in three days. Number three, I will deliver this city from the hand of Assyria. Number four, take this lump of figs and spread them on your disease. Very specific directions. Personal prophecies are very specific. Remember what um, Elijah's servant said to Naaman. Very specific. Go to the River Jordan. Don't wash once, don't wash twice, don't wash three times, wash seven times. When you're listening for God's story or God's personal prediction for you or his prophecies, they should be specific to your circumstance. Don't, let, don't settle for something general because you'll never know. Always there is specificity here. And this is really crazy because Hezekiah said unto Isaiah, what shall be the sign? And this is why this story is so disturbing and why many of you might have read this story and think, wow, this is, this is very different. What shall be the sign? And Isaiah says, okay, on the sundial shall, on the, of the shadow, shall it go forward 10 degrees or backward 10 degrees? Your choice, Hezekiah. Whew. Talk about a sign. This is not no uh, Gideon wet towel situation, okay? This sign is bigger than that. Think about the implications of this sign of 10 degrees going forward or backward. This is cosmic in nature. If you think about the implications of what this means and what God had to do, if you take this word, if you take this word literally here, there had to be some cosmic changes that are happening. The earth in relation to the sun. I mean, I just read a story about the moon and how something was fluttering and how we're going to have more floods in 2023. Something gets off, right? If, if, if anything gets off about the rotation of the earth or the sun or solar flares, I mean, there's devastation that is, that is predicted. In this situation, there is a huge cosmic sign. And I take this to mean this, that God wishes 
This is how much he wishes to tell you your story. Number one. And number two is that Well, I have to say this. The cosmic sign is a testament to what God is willing to do to show you that he loves you. But remember this. Signs do not change hearts. How do we know that? Signs do not change hearts. How do we know that? The most premier example, of course, is Pharaoh. It did the opposite of what it was intended to do. God gave him sign after sign after prediction after prediction after prediction and said, hey, the water is going to turn all bloody. I'm like, what? Maybe that was a volcano or something. I don't know, whatever. Maybe he rationed it out. Maybe he, was, he had some scientific thought. Maybe, you know, the frogs, oh, yeah, they said that the frogs were coming here or the locusts or whatever. Signs do not change hearts. It hardened Pharaoh's heart. If you look at through the signs of the trumpets in Revelation after the seals, all of those signs of those trumpets, all they do at the very end is they harden the heart of the people. The sealing, if you look at Revelation, the seals, the seven seals, each one of those seals has a sign. What that does is it breaks, it, it opens the, the eyes of God's people and they get ready for God. But the trumpets, what they do is they harden the people that are not for God. Signs do not change hearts. But that's how much he is willing to show you your story. The second thing about this story this sign is that the sign that God says to Hezekiah through Isaiah is not just for Hezekiah. Let me say that again. The, the turning of the dial forward and backward, that was intentional. Hezekiah didn't ask for the sundial to move 10 degrees forward or backward. Isaiah, right? God speaking through Isaiah is the one that said, okay. Do you want this sign or this sign? Do you want to go 10 degrees forward or backward? It was intentional. I say that it was intentional because if you read 2 Kings chapter 20, verse 12, it says, at the time, the son of Baladan, king of Babylon, sent letters and a present unto Hezekiah, for he had heard that Hezekiah had been sick. E.G. White reads between the lines so well here in Prophets and Kings and says, it was not Hezekiah's sickness that they saw. It was the 10 degrees. It was the 10 degrees backward. They were all into astrology and astronomy and all those things, and they kept track of the planets. And when they saw that the 10 degrees had gone backward, they're like, what is happening? The sign was not just for Hezekiah. It was universal. It was corporate. See, there are personal prophecies and corporate prophecies. Corp personal prophecies are specific to that individual. Corporate prophecies are to a group of people, to a community of people. This was an opportunity in which Hezekiah, so because of this sundial, the Babylonians came. They came to Israel and said, we heard that God of heaven changed the orientation of the earth to the sun by 10 degrees as a sign that you would get better. And Hezekiah, at this moment in time, made a critical error. 
It was intended for, as E.G. White describes, it was intended for a moment of testimony. It was intended for Hezekiah to say, yes, God healed me. It was a moment in which he could describe, he could glorify God, but he turned it around and he turned it and made it about himself. And he said, look at all the gold in my kingdom. The Babylonians were like, hmm. Note, check. And after that generation in time, Babylonians came and ransacked the city. Isaiah came back after this and said, what have you done, Hezekiah? What have you done? This is by, now by this hand is coming the destruction of Israel. You can see now why God wanted to say, put your house in order. You're going to die. But he gave him 15 years because he wanted to give him another chance. It was not in set in stone. Hezekiah accepted this, and he said, let it be. The last thing that I want to end with is this. In Revelation chapter, uh, let's go, Revelation chapter 19, I believe. It says this. At the very, very end, it's talking about the remnant people. It says, and I fell at his feet to worship, and he said to me, see thou do it not, for I am a fellow servant and thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus, worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. I've always glossed over that. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. I didn't really understand that phrase. But when I came to this idea about personal prophecy, I started to realize that Jesus' life was all about predictions. Every chance he got, every chance he got to the, to the next person, to people that he met, he gave them their personal predictions about him, about Nathaniel, about he purposely went to Galilee to choose his disciples, how he said to his own disciples that he would, they would abandon him, how he told Peter that you're going to deny me three times. He said that before it was going to happen to Peter. He does this all throughout. To the woman at the well, to the Samaritan woman, he tells about her life. His whole life is a testimony of personal predictions. And I thought, yes, this is making sense to me. Because now in this time, right, we have one that's greater than a prophet here in our midst. As Jesus says in John chapter 15, when I go, when I die and resurrect, I will send you the spirit of truth, and the spirit of truth will show you what are things to come. Friends and family, the spirit of Jesus is accessible to us. That spirit is the spirit of prophecy. Think about the implications of that. If that is true, we need to press in and press toward Jesus and say, Lord, Reveal these things to my life. I don't want to look in hindsight and look at these disparate things. I want to look forward in time and see what the, the kind of story you're trying to tell me. What is it about my life you want me to know? It says in Proverbs 16:9, the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. 
Jeremiah 33, 3 says, Call to me and I will answer you and I will tell you great and hidden things that you have not known. And of course, Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to, for welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Romans 12, 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that you by testing you may discern what is the will of God. All these verses indicate to me that God wants to, you to know your own plan. Your own personal prophecy is accessible to you. Take that to the bank. Spread it out. Take that to the throne of grace. Lord, this is what you've said. If you're going through something and you need direction in your life right this moment, take a hold of this promise. Go to Jesus and say, Jesus, press into me. Come in. Reveal your spirit of truth. Tell me which direction to go. Whisper that thing. Let me follow you. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much, Lord, for this time. You have told us to come boldly to you, boldly with these words. Lord, you want to reveal yourself to us. We pray, Father, give us the heart of humility. Help us to behold you and be changed by you and understand how you are speaking to us in this time. We thank you, Lord, for this message. Pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.